Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And this is the H&J Daily for some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. And Andy, well, what tickled your fancy today? Well, I enjoyed ch- uh, catching up with our old friend Kevin Dave, talking about uh, Have I Got News For You, which he's working on at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we caught up with our final day in Rio, which was uh, uh, good fun, I think. And uh, yep. then uh, you can tell us a bit about the sporting memory section we did with Bobby Moore, which I really enjoyed, actually. Yeah, that's right. It was uh, would have been Bobby's 79th birthday on Sunday, and um, we brought you a little kind of homage to uh, Bobby and... Talked to Jonathan Pierce, who worked with him as a commentator in his later years. And uh, also to Motti, who had a very personal story of uh, why the Bobby Moore Fund uh, made a huge difference to his life. Uh, Martin Kellner was on good form, as he usually is on a Friday, uh, looking at uh, what he'd watched on TV this week. And then Mike Ward gave us some clues on what to watch this bank holiday weekend. Yeah, here it all is. Enjoy. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, everybody. And uh, Did you is... watch the darts last night? Let's start with the darts. I, to be honest, I didn't. I, 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 watched I, about I tuned two, in. I watched about two minutes of it on YouTube, and I thought, oh, I don't know. It's, it's all right, isn't it? So <laughs> oh, just, Andy. It didn't, really, it didn't really do it for me. I, I think it's to do with the fact that the darts didn't actually go in the board. They sort of like... <laughs> I just thought... It, I did. It didn't do. It. I thought they were playing. I mean, I tuned in for the last uh, last ten fifteen minutes. Very exciting to discover that Barney had been six three down and come back to win seven six. I think it's still on the old Paddy Power website if you want to go and check it out. But their averages. I mean, just under one 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 nine point two seven Barney one one eight point oh nine. They got fifteen mm. um, hundred and eighties between them. Ten for <laughs> Phil and five for Barney. So that was fifteen grand that went to the NHS. Uh, oh, that's Heroes all good. Fund yeah, that's Power. excellent. Yeah. But it was good. I mean, they were they were. It was great. And our old mate Stuart Pike, we spoke to man with a mic, and Wayne Mardle with a commentary team. I, I, it was it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll catch up with it later good, at good, some okay. other point. And, uh, uh, my wife said to me, just before the show started, she said to me, I'm just going to go and record the first 15 minutes, hmm. uh, as she likes, and the last 15 minutes, which is Mike Ward. She loves Mike Ward's section. Oh, yeah. So I said to her, well, what about Clips of the Week? So she said to me, I don't really like Clips of the Week. I was thinking, now you tell me, after 20 years. years. <laughs> Great, I don't know it? why. I know. Yeah. That's quite... Quite gutted, actually. Well, should we drop them then? I mean, if she's not keen, we'll drop it. We'll just get Mike Ward on for an extra 15 minutes. (laughs) That's exactly right. And uh, 
She, uh, she, she noticed that Claudia Winkleman uh, was having yeah. a problem with her fringe. Is she a Claudia or is she a Claudia, I suppose? Not she could be Claudia, Claudia at the moment. Every you Claudia get, so, has a You're so line. Brian Glanville. <laughs> Have you got time for a quick story about Claudia Winkleman? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, Claudia was complaining, stroke Claudia, was complaining about the fact that her fringe, uh, not a problem I'd ever have, her fringe was getting so long she could yeah. hardly see. So my daughter-in-law has a fringe that's a bit like uh, Claudia stroke Claudius. And uh, so my wife had done a guide for her, a taped guide on how to cut your own fringe. Oh, she's yeah. a hairdresser. She good cuts hairdresser. her own fringe. <laughs> fringe. She, yeah, that exactly. the street, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I sent it to Claudia via uh, Twitter. Oh, but yeah. uh, sadly, she didn't get back to me. But I was thinking if any uh, TalkSport listeners, uh, wives or, or themselves, have long fringes and would like to guide on how to cut your own fringe, I'd be quite happy to send it uh, through to John and he can put it on the TSH&J website. But there's no I mean, demand for it, of course. I won't, what's, uh, I won't what's bother. What's the top line? I mean, is it just, is it you just got to be very careful how you cut it, make sure you cut it in a straight line so you haven't got a wonky uh, fringe? I think you've got to take the hair away from your face to cut it rather than try and cut it just cut it in a line along your eyebrows because everybody's got a bit of a wonky yeah. head is that it yeah it's, i think it's something like that yeah oh, okay. <laughs> Welcome to talk like hair. That. <laughs> yeah. join us talk hair with your hairdressing t- we should get sue on let's get next yeah. week 15 minute we'll line the questions oh, no. up uh, ask oh, sue hairdressing well, people have got people are cutting their own hair Andy, have you seen some well, of the abominations yeah. walking the streets <laughs> my missus is going to take to me with some clippers at the back because as i said i trimmed the front the other day because it got a bit floppy yeah, it looks but all right it's got to come yeah. up because i look like joe exotic but at the back it's all get, get a bit mullety like that, really. so i'm gonna have, you know i think i think a little 15 minute q and a with uh, with Sue, a resident hairdresser, <laughs> you'll be surprised, Andy. I think that could be gold. It could be. It could well, it work. Could be, it could now, be gold plate. <laughs> well, it's true. Cliff Jones, uh, oh, yeah. once again featured in the Sun. Uh, amazing, Cliff working it? out in his garden. He, sensational. The sprinting is yeah. absolutely incredible. I was thinking about it. By the time this lockdown's over, Cliff will be fit enough to play for Tottenham. He'll probably be fitter <laughs> than the players. Yeah. Better than it, Ndombele. I, I think he could, yeah. <laughs> As we only get an hour out of Ndombele, I think Cliff... I mean, not the same position, of course, but Cliff could come no, on and yeah. do a job, definitely. Oh, he's no, versatile, he is, Cliff. He is a freak of nature. He's ridiculously fit. He's an amazing, amazing he? man. He is. He's a wonderful man. And uh, and if he's listening this afternoon, of course, we send him our best. We, certainly uh, do. we, we should also send our best to uh, Norman Hunter. That, uh, oh, was, yeah. I didn't know that news until Jim just mentioned that, and that is really sad. So, look, we wish Norman all the best. He's a fighter, of course, and we wish him and his family all the best at a difficult time. And what a sensational player he was for England and, and for Leeds, of course, Andy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Big part of that Leeds team. And uh, talking of Wales, though, uh, farmer Bryn Lewis, 25, painted Marry Me on a Sheep in Llanbarren, Finnid, Wales. And Sarah Powell, who he was in, wanted to get engaged to, 27, put Yes on a Lamb. So he put Marry Me on a Sheep, she put Yes on a Lamb. She didn't put thinking, No, that well, would have been bad, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, or what happens down the road if it's not, it's not going well? She had, he puts one on saying, it's not working, and then yeah. she sends out a sheep with, I want a divorce. He <laughs> sends out a sheep with, it's not you, it's me. It would be yeah, fantastic. Exactly. Why have, sort of another idea. sheep goes out and says, why have you got two mobile phones? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, the, the, the destruction of a marriage via sheep. Yes. Uh, it's not yeah. you, it's me, E-U-E, of course. Um, that's your headline, if there's someone to pick up on that. Now there's another uh, mm. online phenomenon that's that sprung up. We spoke to Jeff Stelling yesterday, Andy, 
And it is yeah. the um, it was the tenth anniversary last week of Cammy's infamous uh, moment that we've seen many times. That's him right. Yeah, not realizing there'd been a red card. So people are doing karaoke versions of it. I don't know if you've seen any of them. There's a few. No, I I've seen, seen one today. Uh, Josh Ellingworth has possibly done the best I've seen so oh, far. But they've all been the very good. Go and check them out. But um, it's basically people doing the karaoke version. They're, they're kind of lip syncing Cammy's lines, headphones on, looking behind them. And, uh, <laughs> it, look, it, it sounds. They work. It works. Hey, jo- go and check out Josh. He's very good. I, I think Cammy, Cammy is on board. He, he can see the funny side. He's enjoying them. But they. Uh, and some of these weird, when people have got too much time on their hands, oh, the yeah. kind of weird things that pop up and, uh, and take off. It's, it's strange, isn't it? It is strange. And uh, a good story today from Martin Ziegler, who always has good stories, the chief mm. sports reporter of the Times. But uh, punters in the UK have fallen victim to a match-fixing scam in which they place bets on friendly matches between Ukrainian teams that basically never even took place. They didn't even exist. So wow. I was thinking, I, I, we could do our own with like Steve Bruce's team. So Morecaster versus Bridesford, if you want to, if you want to bet on that. Yeah, I'll take, we'll have to I'll have have a take bet the bets. Uh, some of the other teams, uh, Cheddarsford, <laughs> whatever they were called. Cheddersford, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's Led- it's Leddersford are the actual team, aren't they? We'll have to look <laughs> up some of the other teams. Cheddersford or Leddersford? Let's play. Let's play. Cheddersford or Leddersford? Um, That's not possible, is it? Yeah, okay. Are they fictional teams in Steve Bruce's world or are they just completely made up? That's got limited appeal, I think. <laughs> this, and finally, for me in this section, this yeah. story is in the star. This makes no sense at all. Fossilized teeth found deep in the Amazon rainforest suggested monkeys managed to cross the Atlantic. Atlantic Ocean on rafts from Africa wow. around 34 million years ago. What about rafts? Well, I'm sure they had outboard motors. What are you talking about? Yeah. How could monkeys 34 million years ago have come across the Atlantic in a raft? How did they build uh, the raft? Um, rowing, I'm guessing. Um, <laughs> and rubbish. It's yeah. definitely not true. It might be Professor kites. Eric. <laughs> what? No, no, it Professor. What? Professor Eric Seifert of the University of Southern California said it was a time when the Atlantic ice sheet started to build up and the sea level fell. So maybe they, well, that wouldn't help the rafts. <laughs> He's got him thought that through. Eric's got a lot of time anyway. on his hands. Next time you see Eric, you'll <laughs> be doing his cami impression. <laughs> Is there, Jeff? <laughs> I didn't notice. That's the next thing he does. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Much love TV shows having to adapt in lockdown, including have I got news for you that I thought made a pretty sterling effort uh, last week, uh, considering what they're up against in the format of the show. And joining us now is a friend of the show, Palace fan, a comedian and a writer on the show. It's Kevin Day. Hi, Kev. Hello there, mate. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, it must, it must have been a kind of weird process for you guys putting the show together. I suppose, essentially, from a writer's point of view, you followed the same patterns. It's more in presentation that we're noticing it. Uh, sort of, it, it was very tricky. Right, getting the tone right is, is very difficult yeah. while old people are, are ill for a start. Off. So mm. um, that's always tricky. But and and also we were writing by. And uh, um, I really wish I'd invested in Zoom before all this started because my God, they'd be making some money, wouldn't they? Because we were we were writing. So you, it, it, it's this strange scenario with like three of us looking at each other's living rooms. Obviously, Mrs. Day spent half the morning making sure our living room looked look lovely and she, she <laughs> positioned the camera in front of my BAFTA nomination. <laughs> you know, so, um, but that was a strange thing because part of the joys of TV writing, is, as as you both know, is, is you know, you spend half the time just goofing off and taking Mickey out of each other and it's sort mm. of more difficult to do that. So, I mean, it's, 
in, in the scheme of things, it's a minor inconvenience, but I mean, it's very difficult for the producers because everyone's remote, you know, and it's, you do notice the lack of audio. I, I suggested that they recorded it at 8pm last night because at least there would be some applause going on in the background because it's, it's very difficult for them to <laughs> to react to jokes when there's when there's a complete and utter silence. And before people at home say it, yes, there are sometimes the jokes go out of silence anyway. But it's it's been a strange I'm used thing, to it. I'm just, yeah, <laughs> I'm just um, like a lot of people, I'm just pleased to have some sense of normality. It's nice to be able to get up and say, well, at least I'm going to work today, albeit in in strange circumstances, you know, because, yeah, it, it, but I'm glad it's happening. The, the recording on Wednesday went very well, apparently, so Stephen Mangan hosted, and he's always very good, Tottenham fan, obviously, so um, I shall look forward to that. So it's a day, you normally record on a Thursday for a Friday, but because of the complications, it's now Wednesday for Friday, yeah? Yes, they're recording Wednesday morning because it's so much more difficult to edit, because uh, you've, you've now yeah, got yeah. five, set, uh, yeah, and, and the picture quality is not quite as good, so the... The poor lad who's producing this series is also a Tottenham fan, strangely enough. I don't know why that's relevant, but um, he's, he's having all sorts of trouble because the edit, it, yeah, normally the edit is, is difficult because you've only got a day to do it, but now it's, it's even with the extra day and a half, it's, it's tricky. But I thought that, to be fair, I thought they did a, a, a decent yeah. job last week. And, Same, and yeah, I, yeah. I think... I think for the most part, there are people going, why is this, why is this on telly? We don't want news going on while well, this is all going on. But for the most part, people were pleased to to, to see it. I think people want to, to hear people getting stuff off their chest because we're all moaning about it and making jokes about it. I think it's nice for people to realise that there are other people doing the same thing, really. Yeah, of course. It's, it's distractions and all those things. And you, you were right, yeah. what you said about sensibilities. I was thinking of you, Kevin, actually, because I was watching Palace versus Chelsea from 1971 at a frozen <laughs> oh, really? Selhurst Park. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful old game. And you'll be delighted to know that Palace don't lose. They don't win. I don't want to give the... Don't well, give was it, it a draw then, Andy? <laughs> it I was, think they don't yeah. want to spoil it for everybody. <laughs> was it? Was it it was a cup game, yeah. Uh, who scored yeah, yeah, for I Palace? Think... Alan Birchnell made it 2-1 to Palace. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Steve Kemba. I, I seem to remember some of the players were wearing baseball boots or bumper boots. That's right. Them, That's which, right. I, which I remember boots, I remember as a kid yeah. watching that on telly being absolutely fascinated by the fact that the players were wearing plimsolls, which I still don't understand how, what the science is or how they were a better grip on the icy pitch. But I'm, 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 I'm like you, I'm watching a lot of... Um, the big match we visited has become a good friend uh, during, yeah. the, during the time. Although it's, it's strange for those of us who love nostalgia because I've been watching some of these old games thinking, crikey, it's terrible, isn't it? This is not how I remember football. <laughs> the, what, the pitches are shocking. They keep passing it back. It's so slow. It's a, but they, yes, that's one way of passing time. Unfortunately, we I live in a creative industry and people... Not a day goes by without somebody comes up with an idea for a wacky interactive remote quiz, which apparently I have to do because it will be brilliant. I'm, I'm doing. Uh, I'm never going to do any sort of pub quiz again after this because I'm just. I'm really <laughs> really? Good. I every variation of football quiz going. Every oh my god, emoji. And the whole house yesterday was shut down while we did emoji quizzes. There's, there's an, a pop music emoji quiz and a palace player emoji quiz, which was just <laughs> ludicrous. I mean, it's quiet around here anyway. It was just it's like a it's like a Tibetan monastery. The air of studied concentration while we tried to work them out. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. We've been raiding the archives uh, over the last few weeks in lockdown, and um, we were, we were in Rio in 2014 for the World Cup. I believe this is day ten, our uh, final day there of shows before we headed back to the UK and got no idea what's going to happen, but uh, here it all is. 
afternoon. Good afternoon, Ed. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, everybody. And, of course, our final day here in Rio, our final day at Budgeon's Breakfast. I've, I've known Ed for a very long time now, but I never realised that he's quite the creature of habit that he is. <laughs> I suggested um, that we not go to Budgeon's one morning. <laughs> I've got a quite violent reaction. <laughs> no, we must go to Budgeon's. We always go to Budgeon's. <laughs> and you are, you are a real creature of I habit, am, aren't I you? Can't you have help. to have routine in your life. I do, otherwise I just disintegrate. My life is a complete and utter routine, and, you know, and that's how I function. It's, it's quite, is that right? It's quite poor, really. The, uh, the, the one that has really caught by myself and Tom, our producer, out over here is that um, the clothes you came out in, the outfit, you call it an outfit. I actually tend not to use that term about the clothes I wear. I don't have an outfit. Well, I'm a, you know, I'm an old menswear veteran. Yeah, of course. So the outfit yeah. that you wore on the way out, you must wear on the way home. You have to have the same outfit. I do. And, and we both, we handy. said, why? As me and Tom said. I can't really explain it other than often when I travel, I'm not like, the, I hate these people who travel like they've got a tracksuit on or shorts or flip-flops. It's disgusting. When you're traveling, that's what's left over my day. Yeah, you smarten yourself yeah. up, son. I, like, I like to look quite smart. You know, Only on the off chance of an upgrade. Well, is very much so. Yeah. Yeah, but I always have. And uh, so I, I'll often You know, wear... it's like an old cook's tour for you, isn't I it? Like a passage to India or well, something. I do believe in it. So I'll yeah. often wear a jacket. I don't wear a tie, but I wear a jacket and smart trousers. I look quite nice, you know. Oh, okay. So, uh, well, I'd say so. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> must be the judge of that. <laughs> we went to an absolutely sensational oh. restaurant. We, we've sort of pushed the boat out. We've, we've been quite economical, really. We've, we've, we've oh, well, that's it. because you're such a creature of habit. We've had to eat in the same Italian place every <laughs> yeah. night and we, have the same meal. <laughs> yeah. We've eaten... Uh, the like Howard Hughes, aren't you, really? <laughs> I am, really, yeah. without the money. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so uh, we thought, well, I'll splurge the boat out a bit, push the boat out. <laughs> splurge the boat? That's in Clips of the Week. Splurge yeah, the boat splurge out. one of Mike Perry's. I got that for him. Gave the plastic some hammer as <laughs> Andy Townsend once said to me. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, we did. And we went, we went down to this place called Mariusz. It's a institution of Rio. It's right on the end of the Copacabana. It's the most marvellous restaurant. A fantastic place. They had the artefacts in the in the yeah. actual restaurant. I've put some pictures of those up later as well. And, and the food, it's not just one of these meat tourist careers. It's unique because it's fish and meat and shellfish. Yeah. And it just keeps coming. Cool. It's, Blimey, yeah. it's of the highest quality. You get quite angry with them. They just leave us alone. Yeah. Well, I got I got a bit moose because at one point there was, there was a bit of crazy fish going around and and they it served the table next to us and there was none left by the time they got to us yeah. I like, where's my crayfish I said, and, and then they sort of so i had sort of go after the bloke and shout shout at him crayfish and uh, so i've turned into the moose we group. did also have a little window on the 2018 world cup and what it might be like with three very drunk russian blokes well, who well, insisted well, on the vodka staying on the table they mashed the vodka didn't yeah, they well they were singing yeah you know and it was those the songs that came from nowhere one of them was hugging the other one and they go hey Oh, yeah. <laughs> trying to get people to I join in. I've got to go to the synagogue woods. tomorrow morning. That's very good of you, Paul. I did write down what I ate yesterday. Oh, God, it's quite a shock. No, I'm really. Does not... this need a music bed? I don't think. It, well, it could need a little music bed. Billy, if you want to get, if you can just find anything. I know we've sprung this on you, but oh, no, sorry, any, any, even Tim Vicker is if it's the head. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's about, that's about right. <laughs> it is. That is certainly right. Honestly, I am. I'm seriously protein and salad next week. Okay, yeah. Give, give right. the that's after you've had that three and a half ton burger at lunchtime <laughs> yeah. today from well, TT. I've got to go out on a high. You certainly have. That's what Elvis said. Look what to him. Don't go to the toilet before we get on the plane, will you? Oh uh, so we had uh, this, and I wasn't the only one because you were joining in, so was Tom, but yeah. I had a prawn cocktail. Oh, yeah. Hearts of palm, mung bean salad. What a great player he is. Grilled prawns, langoustines, crayfish, swordfish, rump steak, fillet steak, ribeye steak, oysters, uh, cooked oysters, mahi-mahi, and four desserts. Croissant, grilled chicken, rice, and chips. <laughs> yeah. So you say when you get back, it's all going to be protein and... <laughs>
Gosh, ridiculous. But I, the thing was, I um, I don't like plain food. I hate the food on planes. On aeroplanes, that's right. Andy doesn't uh, like yeah, it. Yeah, it's true. I, I, like, I don't like You like plain food. I like food that's very elaborate. Yeah. No, I don't like food on aeroplanes. So what did you do last night in the well, restaurant? We noticed something, myself and the producers, I noticed you, you were, not all the meat you were getting, <laughs> you were eating. And I thought to myself, I like to take food onto the plane with me so that I don't have to eat that sort of microwave terribleness. And uh, <laughs> well, such, just, said, such a snob. <laughs> got out of it there and then he said something else right. and uh, and so I thought well, I'll tell you what I'll do I'll take some of this meat home with me but I didn't want to sort of ask them it looks a bit embarrassing really you know the green doggy bag doggy yeah. bag so I, I thought I'll put it into a serviette yeah and uh, as the steak came I kept sequestering it away into the serviette into the, and uh, I sort of by the time I felt I had enough a pocket full of steak pocket full of steak you're going to eat that on the plane tonight yeah and then I, I asked Tom for an extra serviette because I was wearing white trousers yeah not an ideal thing for Carrie not a great look. full of rare meat. <laughs> no, not a great idea. And the other thing I walk was, out of the restaurant with blood hanging down my leg. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, uh, you had to be stopped from putting a couple of uh, quite large prawns in there. Crayfish. Well. Crayfish. <laughs> I mean, fish that's been in your pocket in the heat. It was very hot here last night. Walking back, then putting in the fridge, then taking it out of the fridge, then putting it in your bag, then getting on the plane. Yeah. So you've got fish getting hot and cold, hot and cold. I think we've saved you from a night uh, in the hospital. throwing up on the plane, Andy. That was a mad thing but to do. You, you and uh, Tom went for a dip in the beach. Uh, well, dip, dip, in the beach. Got in sand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understand you went for a dip in the beach. Dip in the sea. Yeah, Ipanema. Very Ipanema. Nice. I was feeling a bit Lindsay Hoopered with the old Hooper cold that oh, we yeah. talked about yesterday. <laughs> so I thought, well, I better not. I don't want to get hot and cold. And so I'm waiting for you on the beach, taking a few photos. You two look like you were having a fabulous time there. And uh, <laughs> what? And then uh, so this bloke comes along and he's uh, he's got like a tray of prawns and he's selling them on the beach like. So really hot day. I thought, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Give me some of those hot prawns that are actually cold. Hot prawns! A <laughs> final day over here. It's it's the last dispatch uh, from this tournament in the Big Brother house. And Andy, take it away. The 14 and mid-afternoon presenter Andy Jacobs joins Parry and Graham on overnights and has to be dumped for bad language because he thought it was okay to swear at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, he was wrong, of, uh, <laughs> of course. Uh, <laughs> Twatted might have been a better word to have used. <laughs> yes, it, probably, really. yes. Yeah. It wasn't ideal, really. Yeah. Uh, day 14, and Moose doesn't make it to the FIFA Suarez press conference because he walks like an 80-year-old woman. <laughs> that is, well, that is very true. <laughs> uh, day 14, and Paul has spent an hour in the Haviana shop trying to buy a pair of flip-flops in the right colour and size for his wife's friend Mandy. Yeah. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's been one of the toughest assignments in this whole holiday. The Haviana orders has been, has been the hardest thing I've had to do. Day 14, and Andy Jacobs, trying to avoid a rabid, aggressive-looking dog coming towards him, accidentally treads on a homeless person sleeping under a blanket, and the bloke gives him a right rollicking. He does. Gives, well, if you're having a kit, <laughs> no, don't blame somebody him. trod on you, you Absolutely. wouldn't like it. I imagine what you'd be don't like. Don't blame him at all, really. Yeah, what else would okay. I, Andy? Uh, day 12, and weekend sports producer Les Morris, as Tess drove his Aviana flip-flops for half an hour around the flat and discovered his feet aren't cut out for them. Yeah, some people's aren't, Andy. No. You learn, you learn. <laughs> the hard way sometimes. That's, uh, that's true. <laughs> so there we are. That <laughs> was the final day in Rio. And just a, a couple of... Just Imagine we get paid for that. Appendices. <laughs> so this appendices is... Uh, the, um, that evening we uh, we set off for the airport, didn't we, Andy? That oh, yeah, Friday that's evening. Right. <laughs> and uh, I, we haven't mentioned before, I did say to old mate Mike Beauville, how, how long do you reckon, Mike, the, as I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, if it's a long journey to the airport, I'm going to get a lot of traffic. 
I won't have another beer because I've had a couple. We had a couple of sort of sundowners goodbye with the team, didn't we? And um, he said, "Yes, yeah, forty-five minutes tops." And uh, two and a half hours later, I'm still in the back of this <laughs> minibus asking asking the driver if he's got a spare bottle, an empty bottle. I was in bits. I said, Cheers, Mike. Forty-five minutes, two and a half hours later, I was. I was thought I was. I've never wanted to go so much. It was that was. I was that close. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. Planning news. Oh yeah, Pastor, I've seen some planning news. Yeah, I know got, you have. And you? I've got, I've got, I've got very strong feelings about it. You want to tell us what the planning news is? Jordan Henderson. Is that what you're talking That's about? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, I think it's it's quite interesting. He's spending millions apparently on a mansion. Well, fair enough, it's his money. Uh, complete with a trophy corridor, but nastily they say. But there could be a gaping hole if Premier League chiefs scrap the season. Yes, well, we know that. There's no need to really mention it. But the uh, village parish council have blasted the seven-bedroom design, which has an indoor pool for being like a hotel complex. So they're, they're looking at it again. That's right. They say, uh, yeah, they, uh, they're not keen on it. But all I would say is that uh, at the moment, what he's doing, you've heard from other, you heard from Connor Cody on Drive, you've read other captains talking about what he's doing. Just wave it through, lads. Read the room. I agree. Give yeah, Jordan exactly. what he wants at the moment. He, he doesn't That's need any more. Point. doesn't need any stress. So, um, now, oh yes, Andy, go on, carry on. 
No, I say last night I was watching this program, a 30 for 30 uh, documentary, and we'll chat with Martin Kellner about what he's been watching, of course, later. But it was a brilliant thing. I won't go into it too long. It's about uh, a, a catch that was made by a guy called Steve Bartman. He was in the crowd mm. in Chicago, and basically he, sh he interfered with the fielder, and it should never have happened, and the guy's life was made of misery. And it's a fascinating documentary about an incident and a curse and a whole thing like that. Yeah. But basically, when he went to catch the ball, he palmed it, he didn't catch it, he palmed it to another fella, and the other fella who caught the ball anonymously sold it at a later date for $100,000. Wow. Uh, he never got any stick, this fella. He sold it for $100,000 to Harry Carey's seventh-inning stretch restaurant. Harry Carey was a very famous baseball commentator yeah, who invented yeah. the tradition of take me out to the ball game. And uh, basically, what they did, they decided to blow up the ball in a controlled explosion, right? <laughs> As if that wasn't bad What was the fairest way to decide it, or, or why didn't no, no, just to get rid of the curse, to get rid, to get rid of, of this ball. Oh, okay. Yeah, to blow it up in a controlled explosion. And then, no, no, they hadn't finished with this. And this is the maddest thing I've heard for a long time. The remnants of the ball were basically leather, cotton, and string, you can imagine. Yeah. They boiled it in beakers, scientific beakers. And the steam, the evaporated steam, was converted to liquid and added and piped into a special spaghetti sauce, scapegoat spaghetti sauce. And that was what they did with this ball. I'm That's honestly weird. Blakely mad, but uh, it's a it's a very fascinating thing. Uh, I've got a, a thing today from. Um, so you know, some people think beer is like wine. I mean, I personally, I think all these things wine tastes in what, like in wine. In what sense beer. is beer like wine? What do you mean? Well, in, you can describe it in a similar way. So Adrian Tierney Jones, author of A Thousand and One Beers to Try Before You Die, and editor of Beer Magazine Original Gravity, gives his verdict on the best brews tried this week. So mm. uh, it turns out to be uh, a beer called Running With Scepters, a so-called India Pale Lager, where the keen, crisp refreshment of lager is married with a hop, zing of IPA, light amber in colour, with a firm head of snow-white foam. This is a gorgeous gulper of a beer with a light citrus fruitiness, working alongside a bracing dryness and a light bittersweetness. Oh, for goodness sake, it's beer, mate. Oh, no, it's not just beer, mate. I'm not having that. Uh, <laughs> you, you can't, that's very, very snobbish. You think you can talk about that's wine in that way, uh, but you can't well, talk Sure you can talk about wine. No, I don't want to talk about wine in that way. Either. I think well, Chili Gordon and all that. I always find that incredibly pretentious. If you, Andy, if all you want, if you want to blag your way through, if somebody gets you on a beer tasting, <laughs> but normally a man with quite a large beard and a specific gravity <laughs> uh, monitor yeah. who wants to talk to you, somebody, uh, you know, some, and um, and just say go things like just try it and go. Hmm, hoppy notes. Hoppy, get away. Hoppy, hoppy notes. notes will get you a long way. It sounds like <laughs> hoppy notes does sound like a name. As did something else in the darts. Uh, I was reading the Sun's report of the darts last night between mm. Raymond Van Barneveld and uh, Phil the Power, and uh, yeah. Phil was at home. And Barney, it said, was locked away in his Holland Man Cave. And I thought, Holland Man Cave would be a great name in Toast, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, for an actor. He'd be doing a voiceover for Holland Man Cave. I could, I could see that, yeah. We must salute Gran, Violet Spencer, 85. Yeah, well done, Violet. She's gone viral. She's brilliant. Oh, please check it out. It's sensational, isn't it? She's uh, basically sitting there playing with a ball and she flicks it. Yeah. Off a sort of trampoline, then she volleys it into the top corner. Top it's incredible. Bins. Yeah, it's really, really. They're definitely going to have to get her on Soccer I Am when it's back. Oh, Violet, she was fantastic. So, um, did you see those uh, Russian hoaxers have been at it again? Oh yeah. Uh, they, yeah. This time they got Billie Eilish, and uh, mm. the thing is, they've got the perfect vehicle in Greta Thunberg because yeah. basically. 
Who's going to slag her off? No one's going to have a go. At her, are <laughs> no, all no. these virtue signalers are going to start. They're going to as soon as Greta's on the line, they're going to do whatever she says. They'll take so the call. Per- yeah. Perfectly, right? But it's amazing that they can impersonate her to a point where hmm. people are fooled by it because you know, presumably yeah. she's a sixteen-year-old girl, and they're. You know, One day, Icarus-like, they'll get a little bit too carried away with each other and they'll decide to prank Vladimir Putin and that, I think, you'll find <laughs> will, be, will be the end of that. <laughs> I think you may well be right. <laughs> that, that's definitely what's going to happen. Uh, anyway, Andy, we should bring your striker oh, oh, right. because it's ready okay, to sure, go. Of course. Uh, this, of course, is uh, a, a daily uh, serialisation of Steve Bruce's murder mystery. That's right, Steve Bruce, Newcastle manager, uh, wrote a book called Striker along with two others back in the late 90s. Um, they are about the Leddesford Town, uh, not a real team, uh, manager Steve Barnes. <laughs> really? uh, we're going to give you a brief uh, summary of what's gone on so far before we get into the latest instalment of Steve Bruce's Striker, as read by Steve slash Ian Danter. I went down to the locker room. Young Pat Duffy was stretched out on the floor in a pool of blood. I went over and pulled the knife from his back. That's how it was when Carberry came in. I phoned the fuzz, he said. I was brought in to stop the rot. There was no place in my scheme for a man like Eddie Carberry. I had no doubt that the story had been embellished a hundred times already. There was a knock on the door. I turned expecting to see Julie ushering in Harry Pickles. She showed in two guys, although they were in plain clothes. It was clear that they were police officers. So there we are. That's the story so far. Uh, I've just noticed on the back of the book, it says, this is the first novel by Steve Bruce, former captain of Manchester United, now an esteemed manager. It's fast and exciting, and it will be enjoyed by all ages and both sexes. I'm not sure that would stand up to the kind of gender-fluid <laughs> times we live in now, Steve. But, of course, it was, a long, it was a long time ago. Anyway, so there we are. Steve, Steve Barnes mm. uh, standing over the body of uh, his star striker, the Lettersford Town manager. Um, you, you smell a rat. As you listen to the story, you start to think old Eddie Carberry is assistant. It, it, yeah, there's something going on. But let's see what yeah, happens this it. afternoon. Steve, take it away. The seat in front of my desk is a long, low settee. Modern in design, but very comfortable. It's long enough to take four or five people comfortably. The two detectives sat down. Eddie did the same. Perhaps you'd better wait outside, I suggested, in a low voice. This was not the place for confrontation. Eddie Carberry, the second officer said. Eddie nodded. Detective Sergeant Widdison. The two men shook hands. Carberry sat back, arms folded, a self-satisfied smirk on his lips. I sat down feeling deflated. I was no longer master in my own office. The senior officer spoke. I think maybe Steve's right, he said. I'm accustomed to complete strangers referring to me by my first name. It's the price we sports people pay for a certain amount of fame. It doesn't last long, fame, that is, except for the very few. Right? Carberry asked. That you should wait outside, Shannon replied. But I was there, Eddie Carberry said. There? When the murder happened. Was it murder, sir? Shannon asked in a low, probing voice. Duffy had a knife in his back. You don't stab yourself in the back, do you? I almost smiled. Eddie knew all about stabbing others in the back, at least with his words. Do you know the difference between murder and manslaughter? Shannon asked. Well, murder is when... Eddie stopped to think. 
It was clear from the look on his face that he did not know the difference. Didn't know the difference between butter and margarine either. Please wait outside, Mr. Carberry. I saw him. Eddie Carberry spluttered. He stood up and started to wave his arms about. Saw him, Sergeant Widdison said. Now it was his turn to probe. Bending over poor young Duffy, Eddie said, and the murder weapon in his hand. That's very important, Widdison said gravely. Eddie Carberry smirked again. You're clearly an important witness, Widdison continued. So be sure not to leave the premises, Chief Inspector Shannon warned him, as he too stood up and led Carberry by the arm to the door. There we are, quite Carberry heavy, wasn't it? Uh, yes. This afternoon. <laughs> A nice description of just the amount of people you could sit on Steve's sofa i thought that was quite a nice touch <laughs> but there we are this uh, it's the plot thickens uh, ds witherson's got in touch i've never heard the name witherson before have you, you witherson, know witherson? I, thought, I looked it up there was a bob witherson who played football in ah. 1944 so do you I think, think he was an old do you think steve just sort of took to old got some old rothmans out for some of the names <laughs> yeah i think I he think probably he did when he wrote it that's right the hawksby and jacobs daily podcast from talk sport the crowd were ecstatic huge noise you can't describe it it was unbelievable it was him holding it up but he held it up for all of us and now we were running around in that field with the world cup in our hand and the fans are going absolutely berserk bobby made sure that every one of us had a little run with that uh, world cup in our hand and we all got a a round of applause and then he'd take it back and then give it to us and we all Wonderful, wonderful day. I looked at him and there's all these people standing up cheering and I just thought, my God, what man. He survived cancer, which really meant more than all the football to me, to be honest with you. And here he is holding up the Georges Rimet Cup. I thought, if only they really knew the truth, how much more would he have been revered? He was a proper hero. So uh, that was a, 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 just a short piece from uh, the excellent film Bobby of a few years back. Mm. And uh, over the next Wonderful half hour, film. it was ab- absolutely excellent. We're going we're gonna to reminisce about uh, the late, great Bobby Moore. He would have been 79 uh, this weekend. Uh, we were made aware of this because uh, an event coming up on Sunday. We'll tell you more about uh, a little bit later on. But Jonathan Pierce will join us uh, later. He worked with Bobby in his uh, later years as the commentator on uh, Capital Gold. Uh, but before all of that, in this uh, slot, uh, John Motton always joins us, and he joins us now. Good afternoon, Motty. How are you, boys? Yeah, we're not Good too thanks, bad, John. thank you. We're not too bad, thank you, John. I, I, we, we were talking briefly on the phone the other day, and we were there, because um, you kind of came into mainstream commentary as a, as a TV man in sort of 71, towards, most towards the end of Bobby's career in this country, to an extent, you, there were no kind of standout games you commentated on from, uh, from a West Ham point of view, was there? Well, the first time I really met Bobby Moore face-to-face was, um, curiously, I'd just done my first ever midweek commentary for the BBC programme Sports Night, and um, it was an Anglo- uh, Anglo-Scottish Cup final. It shows oh. you what the <laughs> kind of games I was... Yeah, um, when I was... Due. Yeah, it was Middlesbrough against Fulham at Ayrson Park, one of the coldest nights I remember, and I was wandering around outside afterwards... And the Fulham dressing room door opened uh, and the person standing there was Bobby Moore. And he said, you look freezing. You better come inside. 
And um, it was a very nice gesture from a very kind man. Bobby, of course, by then had moved on from West Ham to Fulham. And um, he was such he was so humble in everything that he did and said. And I'll never forget that evening because he, he, he just sort of looked after me, really. Uh, John, I've always often wondered, actually, where were you in 66? Where did you watch the game? And what are your memories of that great English well, occasion? Well, I, I couldn't get a ticket for the final, although actually if I'd gone to Wembley, apparently there were some on sale. But um, wow. <laughs> I, I'd seen the Argentina game with my father, the quarterfinal. And on the day of the final, I, I went round to a friend of mine in Potter's Bar where I was living and we watched it together. I think I broke the lampshade when Germany equalised, by the way. Um, but uh, anyway, it, the, the irony was that I was on the local paper then, and my job that weekend was to go to Boreham Wood and to interview some German students who'd come up on an exchange programme. Well, of course, you can imagine how I felt walking into this room to see their, their faces, having just been beaten in the World Cup final. I don't think they were too pleased to see me. <laughs> you did play with Bobby, though, didn't you? What a great honour that must have been tell us the circumstances well this was a you know that match between the uh, the, 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 the lower division teams I think it was the Sherpa Van Trophy at the time mm. and one of our broadcasters then Richard Keyes who was on Sky um, well he wouldn't have been well he probably was but I mean he was quite prominent at the time he got a team of broadcasters together to play 15 minutes each way at Wembley before the main event and uh, Bobby Moore got a team up against us. And I, two things I remember, Bobby Moore walking into the Wembley dressing room with a pile of kit in his hand and very solemnly handing out the script to every individual player as though he wow. was the kit manager, which again is just a sign of his humility. And then we played our 15, well, I say I played the first 15 minutes and not surprisingly at half time they substituted me. But as I walked off Wembley, Bobby Moore came alongside me and he, he'd been, re or rather he'd volunteered to be replaced by the other team. So I can actually say I walked off the Wembley pitch where he'd held the World Cup side by side with him. So Fantastic. nice memories, those. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of stories like that. We're going to read you a bit um, later on as well from Roy McDonough's autobiography and lots of stories of him just being a decent, very approachable, very, very humble guy. I met well, Bobby when I was... Oh, sorry, John. Go on, go on, Andy. No, I say I met Bobby when I was 17. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, his, her father was a big West Ham fan, Alf Isaacs, and he knew Bobby really well. And one Sunday morning, me and my friend Philip Lewis, we were just pottering around, and she called us and said, Bobby's going to be here. You know, you can come around and meet him. I mean, you can wow. imagine for a 17-year-old, I mean, I could hardly speak. It was <laughs> tremendous. He was just a, I just remember him being a lovely, lovely man. And you met him, Paul, didn't you? In, I did, in only, only in very strange circumstances. <laughs> in the toilet, I've said it before, toilets at Wembley, England, Cameroon, freezing cold nights. I think he was obviously working with, with Jonathan Pierce that night for Capital. At Reg Drury, myself, and Bobby, all in the, in the <laughs> lose at the Wembley press room. And, uh, and Bob uh, pointed out in no uncertain, quite flowery Anglo-Saxon terms, just how cold it was that night. To all this. And that was it. I, I was flanked at the latrines by the great man once. Uh, I'd say that no great claim to fame. I certainly didn't play on the same pitch as him as, as Motti did. Sorry, John, you, you, uh, you were saying. Yes, John, sorry. Well, I, I, I was just saying if it hadn't been for Bobby Moore and his, his um, widow, Stephanie, I wouldn't be talking to you today, um, 
Paul, because as you know, Bobby Moore died of bowel cancer and Stephanie's raised millions for that mm. fund. Um, and I got bowel cancer six years ago and Stephanie got me in with Professor Northover in Harley Street and I had two operations, which thank goodness were successful. Um, but of course, the treatment had moved on a lot um, uh, since Bobby Moore died. And I, I was privileged to be um, at the hands of the people in the London clinic. Uh, and I pulled through. But that was another connection, indirectly maybe, uh, bet- between uh, Bobby Moore and myself. Wow, yeah, I know you've, you've, one, John, yeah. you've done some stuff for the fund as well. I, mean, I was reading in your autobiography, John, as well, that there was a kind of embryonic idea to do a Boys of 66 documentary. And in the making of that, you... You got some stuff in the camp with with uh, Bobby and Stephanie. Spent some time with them at their house, didn't you? Putting that, trying to put that documentary yeah. together. What we did at the BBC, twenty years on from '66, we decided to do a documentary involving all eleven players. This was 1986 now, and I, and I had a day with all of them, mm. uh, which was really memorable for lots of reasons. I won't go through them all because I haven't got time, but. I did go to Bobby to where Bobby Moore was living in South End because, of course, he was manager there briefly, and um, Stephanie was with him, and uh, I, I, he, did a, he did a lovely interview for me about '66 and what had happened since. Um, and then he said, uh, "You just be careful." He said, "Check check with British Airways before you put this out because Stephanie was then an air hostess, mm. and she had to clear it with her employers." But it, they did, and it was um, it was a series which I enjoyed very much. And Bobby Moore was a major part of it as captain, obviously. Uh, John, uh, the other thing we haven't talked about, and I remember this very well, is Bobby the player. I mean, he he was a wonderful, wonderful player, wasn't he? He made defending. He was almost ahead of his time, a bit like Martin Peters. But he he was, wasn't he? He would have been brilliant in the modern game. Oh, immaculate, Andy. I mean, uh, Bobby could play it out from the back. They they used to say, of course, he wasn't a great tackler and not a great header of the ball. But frankly, he didn't need to be. I mean... Those vivid pictures come back from the 1970 World Cup when he played so well against Brazil and then swapped shirts with Pelé at the end. Um, he, he, he was a master, actually, in defence. I mean, think of the coolness of the man when, he, when England were winning 3-2 in the World Cup final and everybody was waiting for the final whistle and Bobby just calmly brought the ball down in his own penalty area, looked up and pinged ping that ball through to Jeff Hurst, who went on to make it 4-2, of course, in the memorable Ken Wollstone home commentary. Um, Bobby could do that. He, he, he was almost nerveless on the pitch. And uh, all those years at West Ham, um, again, a leader in every sense of the word. And then, of course, going to Fulham. And, and then, as, as we'll hear later, of course, uh, went into the broadcasting game with Jonathan Pearce. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. From Talk Sport. Bobby's last years were spent alongside Jonathan Pierce on Capital Gold, uh, commentating on games. And we're very pleased to say Jonathan joins us now. Good afternoon, Jonathan. Hello, boys. How are you? We're not too Good. bad, thanks, Jonathan. It's a question I've always wanted to ask you, actually. How did that involvement with Capital Gold come about? Bobby had been sort of managing in football, and I think it still stayed involved with South End. So, how did it all come about? Well, he, he, he was working for the um, sport paper, the Sunday sport paper, on, on uh, you know, uh, on, uh, on a weekly basis. And a lad used to work with him there called Steve Lillis. And um, Steve had a very good friend called Mick Lowe's. Uh, Mick is the best commentator I've ever worked with in my life. Um, and he, was, he became a legend up in the northeast when he left London. He went to work up at, covering Newcastle games. 
And uh, he's retired from it now, rather sadly too early for me because he's a brilliant broadcaster. And, and Mick contacted Bobby and Bobby came in and, uh, and uh, just loved everything about what we were doing. And, um, you know, we had such fun. Um, people say, what were the days like at Capital Gold? And I say that we just laughed. We, la- we worked our socks off, but we laughed all the time. We had such a good time. Yes, I mean, <clears throat> listeners in the other other parts of the country may not be aware of this, you know, the capital goal, but for people in London, it was massive, Jonathan, wasn't it? It was so much a part of our lives. And I see that from Matt Dickinson's book, I'd forgotten this, that in 1991, you both picked up a Sony Radio Academy Award for your work. So it shows the testament to the quality of it. Yeah, and I think... Um Put your medals on the table, son. I think I've won or been part of six Sony Awards, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> but, all right. We, we no. We've never been nominated for anything, Jonathan, but we're not better. <laughs> I'll tell you what Bobby was like. I'll tell you what Bob, Bobby came, right? And um, there was only so many seats at the table uh, that, that one year. And uh, so Bobby was there, myself, and, and, and a couple of the presenters, I think, were up for awards that year. Tarrant, I think, might have been. Um, and then... That, but Bobby thought, well, that's that's you know that's not that's not really uh, good enough. So what he did, he paid for the whole sports team that evening to have an evening out, and and that was very typical of him. When another story, when we were at the European Championships in 2000 in um, Sweden, um, so uh, not 2000, what was it 92? Sorry, big pardon. And um, Julian Waters, who now works at Sky, he was over there with me um, as a reporter. And um, all Julian wanted was to see a, uh, a, a championship all the way through. Um, when England went out, uh, Capital said, uh, no, we didn't have the finance for Julian to be over there as well. So Julian had to come home. And uh, Julian was heartbroken by this. And Bobby uh, took me to one side and he said, um, as long as Julian doesn't know about it, uh, I'll fund Julian to be over here. Let Capital know I'll pay all his expenses and his wages. And that's what Bobby did. Um, and we never let Julian know until Bobby had passed. And, that's what he was like. He was incredibly kind. Um, his, his football knowledge was astounding. Uh, he'd walk into a room and heads would turn. You know, you've got managers like Sir Alex. They, they, literally, they would turn and see Bobby coming in. And um, he inspired people. He was a great gentleman. He, he'd, um, he'd treat princes and paupers alike. He'd uh, talk to people in a, <laughs> in a railway carriage. We used to, you know, people used to come up to us on trains when we used to go by train occasionally and they'd see Bobby and want to come and speak to him. And um, he'd say, uh, he'd, he'd talk to him for about 10, 15 minutes and he'd say, uh, all right, boys, I'm very tired, actually, very tired, getting on in the ears now and uh, I'm just going to go to sleep. He shut his eyes, put his head on my shoulder <laughs> and, and fall asleep until they walked yeah, away. Yeah. And then he'd whisper, have they gone? And that was his trick. That was one of his tricks. <laughs> Lovely man. Yeah. Um, if you talk to Harry Redknapp about Bobby, he, mm. he will eventually rail against the lack of recognition that, that Bobby got. And you did have great times together and he did great work with you. But uh, in many ways, he was woefully underused and underappreciated while he was alive. And uh, did you ever talk about that? Did that was that something that, that he ever thought about? Um, we talked about it in the same way that um, Beckenbauer was used by... The German FA and, and um, you know, other countries have used people in subsequent years in the same way. And Bobby, was, he was never bitter. He was never bitter. He never had a bad word to say about players' wages or uh, compared to his day or anything like that. He was n- never critical of, uh, of the modern game in that respect. Never critical of the FA. He'd raise an eyebrow and he'd have a bit of a sardonic smile 
once or twice, um, but um, he, he should have been better used by the FA. If you remember initially, the sort of token um, remembrance of Bobby was a sort of plaque underneath that bridge by the tube station at Wembley where people come out and walk up Wembley Way. And, it, you know, that, that's a ter- it's really not a very nice place to have a, a, a memento. And then, of course, they've now built the statue, which is a wonderful memory of Bobby. And, and the one uh, down near the old Upton Park was, again, a great tribute to the West Ham World Cup winners of 1966. But he, he, he used to, instead of criticising the FA, he'd tell, he'd tell you one or two stories. He told me one when... And forgive me, I can't remember the year. It was pre-66. He was captain. He was a very young captain, so it would be early 60s. And they went to the old Soviet Union mm. for a summer game. And um, the Soviet Union uh, used lots of tricks in those days, like turning up the heating in the players' rooms on the night before a game. It was June and sweltering. So Bobby couldn't stay in his room. He thought, I can't stand this. I can't sleep. So he went out and lay down on a park bench near their hotel. This is Moscow, early 60s, don't forget. And uh, he woke up, and uh, there were two senior FA selection committee members sitting on the bench, and they noticed this uh, curly-haired blonde fellow wake up and immediately called for the nearest Russian police, military police, to come and arrest him. They had not the faintest idea who their current international captain was at that time, and he was sitting on the same bench as them. Wow, Golly, that's a, that's amazing. We were just uh, conjecturing this morning, uh, Paul and I, on our phone call, that uh, what what life might have been like for Bobby if he, you know, had managed to sort of live now and was celebrating his 79th birthday. Because we think he would have been some kind of ambassador. We think he would have been knighted. He would have got everything he deserved. Because it was only, I say, only appreciated really uh, after his death. And the boys of '66 maybe didn't get the recognition they deserved at the time, but they they do now. To, uh, so. Uh, you kind of feel that it, life, life could have been very different for him. You could see him sort of travelling the world uh, as an ambassador for the FA and more. Well, I'd hope so. The current FA, the modern FA, I, I'm sure, would have uh, employed Bobby. He would have been great to go around to kids and, 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 and tell people about his adventures in the game. And um, I'm, not, I'm not too sure uh, whether Bobby would have ever made uh, a great manager because I don't think he had a nasty bone in his body. Mm. And I think managers do need that nasty streak. Um, I think uh, he would have been great, though, working with an FA coaching scheme. Um, as I say, at grassroots level, can you imagine that? In terms of being an ambassador, um, mm. he, like Beckham was, has been used subsequently, He'd have been, he, sh- he should have been utilised in the game. And, and all those 66 boys, you know, and, and players... From 1990, they got so close in 1990. They're so quickly forgotten by the powers that be, and they should be utilised much better than, than they have been. And Bobby, I think you, you only really knew what Bobby meant to the country when you saw the floral tributes outside Upton Park. And I, I, I told this story on, on more than one occasion, and I, I think it does sum him up. I, I actually spoke to Bob. Um, we had crosswords, actually, um, just before... Um, the week that he died and um, because uh, Stephanie didn't want him to go to Upton Park with me on the Saturday because it, was, it, it, it had become a media circus. So I, I said I didn't think he should go and Bob said um, he disagreed with me but he, he respected my opinion so that's the way it would be. Uh, called me on the Monday. So I called him on the Monday and he was too ill to speak and I flew out the following morning to uh, Goa for a, for a quick February uh, week's holiday and um we got to the hotel. Immediately we got to the hotel, the guy behind the desk said, you've got to go to the nearest 
post office and phone England. We can't take, we can't do international calls from here. Seems strange these days, doesn't it? But that's the way it was mm-hmm. back in '93. Uh, and so I had to go to the nearest post office. And I was talking to the taxi driver on the way to the post office. And I said to him, "I think a very good friend of mine back in England has died. A man called Bobby Moore. Didn't think anything more of it. I went to this post office, which was three three walls, corrugated iron, no roof. And in the corner there was a little booth. And the booth had a wind-up phone, like an, like an army phone, or wound it up and got put through by the international operator and spoke to the people at Capital, and they said that Bobby had passed that morning. And uh, I turned around, and outside this post office, in the middle of the jungle in Goa, this one dusty street was absolutely packed, wow. absolutely packed, hundreds of people. And at that moment, that's the first time I realised, when I'd said to the taxi driver, a friend of mine called Bobby Morris died back in England, he obviously knew who Bobby was. And that's the first time I realized how the world saw Bobby Moore and what Bobby Moore meant to the world. And that is what the FA never got until he died. And that's the tragedy of it. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Time now for Martin Kellner's Week of Sport on TV. And as we always say at the moment, it's just so much... Just so much stuff to choose from, live sport-wise, if you include last night's darts. Uh, good afternoon, Martin. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a lot about. There's a lot about if you like the old stuff. And as oh, Andy yeah. and I have said on several occasions, um, it's like watching live sport for us. You know, haven't forgotten <laughs> more or less everything. It's but uh, exactly. it's a sm- it, yeah, it's a smorgasbord. Mm. Uh, the <laughs> Swedish midfielder Leeds United <laughs> had him in the. Uh, <laughs> you know, it is. It is. Of course, it is a small. There's loads of that. But and there's also, of course, uh, the various documentaries. Mm. Um, and I don't. Whether you know, in the lack of sport, Netflix and Amazon Prime have sort of uh, ramped up their production of documentaries. But there's a great one. I'm well, I say a great one. I'm enjoying it immensely. Yeah, Maradona in Mexico, which uh, covers the sort oh, of yes. one season. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It covers that. the one season he, he spent there, 2018 to 2019. Now, how many documentaries have we all seen about Maradona? <laughs> lots and lots. And you always ask yourself, is there room for one more documentary? about Maradona and the answer is yes because you know it's going to be full of tantrums drama and uh, remarkable dad dancing the uh, I mean in the first in the first uh, episode of this series Maradona in Mexico he's interviewed by uh, a reporter from the local newspaper she's a young girl quite a chubby young girl she's about 21 years old I would have said and uh, while they're doing the interview, and it's a sort of face-to-face stand-up interview on the pitch there, he starts, goes in for, for, no, um, for, any, for no reason that's immediately apparent, what I can only describe as a grind, I believe. Um, but I think bump and grind is the, uh, mm. is the genre. And uh, this, <laughs> she's sort of... Um, she doesn't quite know what to do, but she sort of carries on with the interview. And uh, he joins this team, which is uh, Dorados, in uh, Kuilikan, Kuilikan, I think I pronounced it right. Yes. Um, yes. 
Yeah, it's right in the heart of the Sinaloa cartel, the drugs cartel there, oh. the home of El Chapo Guzman. Mm. Now, somebody says <laughs> at an early point in the interview, um, signing Maradona to go to uh, Coelacan there, uh, the heart of the Sinaloa ca uh, cartels, like um, hiring a diabetic to work in a candy shop. Yes. It, yes. Doesn't, it <laughs> doesn't entirely make sense, mm. given his, uh, his previous history. Mm. But bizarrely, he does... I mean, have you both seen this documentary? Do you know, I haven't. I've seen I it have, on there, and I I'm tempted to watch good. it. It yeah. does look, it yeah. does look like, sounds like fun. Yes, he did oh, actually do rather fun. well there, didn't he, for a while? He did. I was about to say that, you know, um, he they were bottom of the league when he joined. He got them into the playoff places, but his entire strategy seemed to be singing, singing and dancing. All he, all you ever saw him do was lead the players in a sing song after every match, before every match, and then um, slag off the opposing managers as being a, a mother flipper or whatever. <laughs> and that was more that, yeah, his that language. Was, his Choice. <laughs> it's very choice. Maybe that's very the secret choice. of management, Martin. Maybe you've just got to don't worry about <laughs> tactics and all that old rubbish. And, uh, you know, if you want yeah. to head me, head me, all you've got to do is really get them in and get them going, my old man, everybody, <laughs> just, just singing along. I mean, just get them in a sing song. Wow, how did you know that was the song that he, oh, yeah. that he <laughs> just joined guess. them in? Just a yeah. guess. <laughs> but, no, it's it's great fun. I wouldn't, I mean, like everything, and I think we mentioned this last week on uh, Netflix, and I think especially at the moment, they are things are dragged out. You don't really need six episodes of this, mm. um, but you get them. Whatever the story is, you know, you could tell it in, a, uh, in an hour-long or two-hour-long uh, yeah. documentary. Uh, and there's a lot of it is, you know, you virtually go through it match by match. But he, you know, he does very well at the start. And then, disappointingly, he mysteriously disappears just before the start of the uh, 2019 season. Uh, you know, he's absent for a while from the players, just leaves. Them. There's no explanation, uh, apart from the fact that he had personal stuff to deal with yeah. in Argentina. So he sort of goes back there inexplicably. And you could have, there's no probing in this documentary. They just think they want the camera at um, Maradona, uh, you know, uh, managing a Mexican team. And you've got a documentary there. And it seems they're probably about right, actually. Oh, OK. I'll check that, Martin. It sounds yeah, good. Yeah, I, sounds mean, good. It, it, I agree with you, Martin, that a lot of these uh, sort of Amazon and Netflix ones, they don't have that thing that the 30 for 30s have, which are these single films mm. forensically done brilliantly done i think i've watched two this week 42 for one 42 to one with the story mm. of buster douglas and catching hell the story of steve bartman i'd recommend yeah. both of them really brilliant yeah i watched both those and you're right they are brilliant um so i also watched uh, before we go back to uh, council tv uh <laughs> i did watch uh, uh, this is football which is a new series on amazon prime mm. and this is certainly there's way more money being poured into this than into the uh, the netflix uh, maradona thing uh, and this is a, a proper documentary uh, the, uh, the the titles at the start say this is football four billion people one passion one faith more disciples than any faith uh, and it starts off in kigali in rwanda with the Rwandan Reds, and these are quite fanatical uh, Liverpool fans. Obviously, they've never been here, never seen them live, but over the years, they've they've grown up to support Liverpool. Uh, and it's not you see a very young population in Rwanda, and obviously, we all know what happened there in uh, in 1990. So they are a country, you, you know 
coming to terms with the trauma. But bizarrely, a lot of these guys had supported Liverpool since, um, you know, for years, basically, 40, wow. 50 years. Uh, one guy, you know, names his favourite player as uh, Ian Rush and said as a tribute he's called his son Ian Rush. Not just Ian, Ian Rush. <laughs> Ian Rush. <laughs> Brilliant. It's the name of his son. And they all, you know, they, they have a big screen in this bar there, Bar 250, uh, a huge screen, and uh, they all sing along with You'll Never Walk Alone. Um, yeah. And like I say, it's quite moving because one, one guy says... That when does you sound good, the- actually. It is. It's well worth watching. I've only watched the first episode, and I assume there'll be another 25 to come or whatever, because they, <laughs> they don't stint on it. But um, the, one guy's singing You'll Never Walk Alone, so when you listen to the words, it's the story of our country. So, you know, the, their faith in Liverpool and everything, their support for Liverpool, is goes beyond football, which I think is sort of what the uh, whole documentary is uh, about. Uh, and you see, they, they, they broadcast it live on, on the radio there. Uh, oh, wow. On 91.1 Radio 1. And they broadcast, you know, just uh, Premier League match, Liverpool v, uh, v Newcastle. And this guy's driving round in his Land Rover, and there's Impalas there, and he's doing all his work with the, with the radio, blasting away on uh, Liverpool versus Newcastle. So it's, uh, that's in northeast Rwanda. So that, 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 that sounds good, Martin. Yeah, you're giving us yeah. some good stuff here to watch. So back to Council TV. You said you were going to stray back there, is that right? Yes, back to Council TV, <laughs> indeed. Watched a very entertaining <laughs> Southampton-Tottenham match from 94-95. Wow. Uh, you'll remember this. Uh, it was 4-3 for Southampton in the end. To all at half time, but I was amazed how many. I was, yeah. I'm sorry, I've a bit of a spoiler alert there. Yeah, but I was. I'd forgotten just how many brilliant uh, attacking players Spurs, even though they got beat four three, mm. um, in, in one side. In the same, yeah, Darren Anderson, Nick Barnby, Klinsman, Teddy Sheringham, Ronnie Rosenthal, uh, all in the same time, but all same side. So. Um, Goodness knows why I'm to the defence. That what would have been, yeah, that would have goals. been, I think that was Aussie's time when they were at Illy Dumitrescu. We had the sort of, we had five players uh, bombing, and the famous five, but I remember talking to, uh, like, Justin Ember about that, and they basically it was the, it was the, it was the famous seven, the, the full-backs, yeah. him and Dean Austin would be further forward, I think it was that sort of era, uh, yeah. than half the attacking players were. So, uh, so yeah, well, they, they, they were mad times. Yeah. We did. We we lost quite a lot of games by high scores at that time because we were a touch open, Martin. If I remember yes. right. Yes. Oh yes. You certainly were in this match. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I watched a watched a West Ham match, end of season match against Leicester, and I'd forgotten just how how good Rio and how much attack it, how far forward Rio Ferdinand. It was only nineteen then, uh, and you can't believe watching this match that there were West Ham fans who ridiculously said that they, we've all seen that YouTube clip ridiculously said at the time that Frank Lampard was only getting in the team um, because of nepotism which is you know in this match against he scored a brilliant goal and was just fantastic it was uh, and we won 3-2 so that was good so enjoyed that yeah, yeah I'll tell you, I'll tell you who's backed up. I've, yeah, David Morris, he's been in touch, uh, actor and Liverpool fan. Good to hear from you, David. Hope you're keeping well. He backs up what you just said. This is football. He highly recommends it, along with you, Martin. Says he's really, really enjoyed it. So Yeah, okay. well, it's because they're all Liverpool that. fans, as you see. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. It's a Liverpool that loving. He's going to yeah. like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Really good. Uh, also <laughs> interesting, just well, finally, uh, I watched on Free Sports 422, uh, mm. a program called Goals Galore, which was simply, um, as Andy says, you're watching as the literary expression goes, through a glass darkly uh, on, uh, on Free Sports 422. It's not the sharpest. 
No. But there was a whole <laughs> compilation of uh, Luis Suarez goals to a rock soundtrack, and in these difficult times, um, quite interesting. And I noticed, well, you know, just enjoyable, really. And I noticed uh, one of their programmes, uh, Rugby League Back Chat, was oh. sponsored by Town Hall Dental in Brighouse. Uh, who, I don't know <laughs> how much Town Hall Dental in Brighouse. <laughs> Seriously, they sponsored the show. So, uh, but, you know, you're not... Do you, have you, have you, have you, do you know much about Town Hall Dental in, in that part of the world, Brighouse? Have you mm-hmm. been in, Martin? Or? I've been to Brighouse. I yeah. quite like Brighouse. It's, um, it's a bit like... There was that song by... Um, song by... Uh, who did the song Brighouse? Uh, famous, were, yes, weren't they? The, the Commodores. The Commodores did their version of... Uh, Brighouse, uh, Brighouse. Yes. Yeah, they, they loved they, it. The Commodores loved <laughs> mighty, it. Mighty, mighty. Yeah. They like a pint of John Smith's. They <laughs> they do. Do. Yeah, of course they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Lionel Richie, I think he was shopping at Aldi in Brickhouse. I think he did. That's <laughs> how they were. I'm sure there's some... They renamed it Brickhouse, if I remember. But it was about Brickhouse. I think there was some sort of <laughs> copyright issue with the then mayor of Brickhouse, if I remember anyway, rightly. I'm expecting... Anyway, Town Hall Dental, if I do need any work done in that department... Interesting enough, my own dentist phoned me up this morning, woke me up about quarter past nine. Was it for business? Well, you're not touting for business, but saying I've got an appointment next week just for a checkup. Right. Um, but they won't be able to do it now. No, really? So, Get out of town. <laughs> Surely, what a surprise. <laughs> the dentist is working from home. Once he's um, back, he'll be sending his mates around to come around and knock your teeth out, won't he? And just uh, in, in the cover of darkness. And then, follow um, Martin, I've not seen you for ages. Anything happened? Well, funny enough, I got sap on the other day and all my teeth were knocked out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, leaving toffees on the doorstep. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. Mike Ward joins us, uh, our man on uh, TV. Good afternoon, Mike. TV repairman, as I think I became T- yesterday. TV, yeah. you did. You pro- <laughs> but they always, it's funny, the TV repairman always yeah. g- came in a kind of black, a brown coat, a kind of foreman's yes. shop for... I mean, in the old days when you didn't Open just lob your, thing, you didn't yeah. just lob your telly down the dump when it stopped working, which <laughs> no. is what happens now. But people actually came and repaired them. They always wore those those kind of brown shop, That's shop true. floor coats, didn't they? There, are, there must be TV repairmen, you know, somewhere around, mustn't there? For people, you know, the people you mentioned the other day who still got black and white sets must need those. Oh yeah, that's else. right. Yeah, Cathode Ray is the bloke who lives around my <laughs> way. Yeah, that's what they call him. That's what they call him. <laughs> so. It sounds like a character from a guy, Richie, went by the name of Cathode Ray. Yeah. Uh, you could basically smack a telly over your head, I would imagine. That would be his role in that film. So, um, now, uh, tonight, a man who's been a guest on the show, Funny Bones. I'm a big fan of Joe Lysett. I think mm. he always makes me laugh. And um, he's got a kind of That's Life slash watchdog type show, hasn't he? Yeah, Joe Lysett's got your back. It's the second series of this. The uh, first series was um, Friday nights. It was half-hour episodes. They've doubled it now, so the new series is... um, Each episode is now long. And, yeah, it's a consumer show that manages to be entertaining rather than just sort of finger-wagging and earnest and po-faced and and, and sort of a bit sort of moany. And it's quite a difficult balance to to achieve because obviously if he is taking on important um issues a lot of the time mm. um but he has to do it for instance the, the, the one that he tackles tonight is is the one that got a lot of publicity where he changed his name to hugo boss yeah the the whole business that he's, he's talked about a lot about the fact that they uh, they issued a cease and desist notice a legal notice to a, a brewer a small brewery in wales mm. who happened to have the word boss in the name of their product you know the implication being that there could be some confusion yeah between the two which is obviously absurd so he took that to extremes by thinking well you don't own the own the name in fact i'm going to have your name and uh, has built a lot of 
humour around that. But it's a great, you know, sometimes humiliating people who are being heavy-handed and pompous and self-important is is a very clever, effective technique, which mm. uh, the more straightforward traditional consumer show perhaps doesn't really achieve. So that's Channel 4 tonight. What time is that on, Mike? 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. Yes. Fantastic. Now, we, we mentioned earlier on to Kevin Day, who's working on Have I Got News For You, that, um, you know, the shows are having to adapt, and that includes... The Graham Norton show. I mean, it's that's a difficult one, isn't it? Because so much yeah. of it is about the buzz in the studio, the atmosphere that's created by the audience, the interaction of the guests. Oh, I mean, yeah. Is this kind of one-on-one chats, or is well, it, no, is this it... is down. This is basically down the line. So he's got his guests on the first of the new series. It's on at nine o'clock. Mm. It's shorter than usual, so it's got a different time slot. It's only only half an hour, right. possibly because that's enough. I don't. I don't mean that in a disparaging <laughs> way, but you know, as we discovered with "Have I Got News for You," it's quite a hard watch to get used to that whole. Uh, you know the restructuring that has had to take place. It's got Michael Bublé, Michael Sheen, uh, who we'll talk about in a minute, and Martin Freeman and Daisy Haggard in it. So they're talking about you know various things. Um, Daisy and Martin talking about Sky One comedy Breeders, which is Breeders. Brilliant. It's excellent. It's, it's so really good. good. Very oh, probably the sweariest program on TV by some some distance, but very oh. very funny. Um, so talking about that, uh, Michael Bublé talking about you know his touring, etc. The fact that he had to stop halfway through. Michael Sheen talking about Quiz, the who wants to be doing mm. anything. Um, but yeah, it's all going to be down the line. Um, so you know, so everyone's sort of um, reporting in from their basements or from their kitchens or what have you. Uh, and there's an awful onus, you know, big onus on Graham, obviously, to um, to hold that all together in a way that sort of still, as you say, has that buzz, has that kind of yeah. um, you know, the feel. Yeah. And, and the red chair, how are they making that work? I don't really know, but there, there will be a red chair story that, that uh, people are encouraged to tell, but from their own homes. So I'm right. not entirely sure. I haven't been able to see it, obviously. Cause it's how are they going to turf them out? out? <laughs> so yeah. it's not possible. Get no your idea. family to hoik you when he's had enough. <laughs> but it's yeah. yet another of these shows that... <laughs> yes, that's term- probably how they're going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, determined to sort of, you know, let this show go on in some form and has had to call upon quite a lot of inventiveness. So we'll see yes. how that works out. Now, this is show not, business, Mike. This it is, is a repeat. Is, yes. and I'm, this is a repeat. Indeed. And I'm glad uh, this is nine o'clock, by the way, with BBC One. Graham yeah, Norton, that but, is, yeah. Uh, a repeat of something I didn't see. BBC Four, ten o'clock. So I'm pleased you've highlighted it. Yeah. David Cassidy, The Last Session, of course, yes. a huge star when I was a kid in the 70s, part of yeah. his family, a great solo career. But... He had a, a pretty tough time in his latter years, mm. didn't he? Unbelievably sad. But as you say, if you grew up uh, in in the 70s and you remember the success of you know the Partridge Family and David Cassidy as a you know solo performer and you know screaming teeny boppers, you know, you know the competition with the Osmonds and all that kind of thing, and then the contrast between what he sadly became in his latter years. He died in November 2017. Um, I think this was originally shown about a year after that. He was only 67. Hmm. Um, and he had so many, you know, so many issues on so many levels. Obviously, the, the, the impact of the fame and the, you know, the after effect of that and the fact he struggled to cope with it. But the most poignant part of it all is the recording session of his, that he's um, uh, doing mm. uh, that, that, that is, is sort of, you know, the main focus, if you like, of the, of the film that, that, that a lot of it's built around. Uh, and this was obviously uh, not long before he passed away. And he's trying so hard and it's, 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 pay, it's, it's very poignant and very painful. But he's trying to perform songs that I believe is, you know, were significant to his father. So it has a poignancy on that level, but also the fact that, you know, the contrast between what he was and what he sadly became mm. is it's quite hard going. But it is a very, very good documentary. Very, very powerful. OK, 10 p.m. Channel 4. Kind of staying with music. I think we've got a little clip to play you now. But um, the Eurovision Song Contest obviously, <laughs> is a big television event and it was supposed to take place. 
next month, but they're mm. still going to hold it virtually with songs written by computers. Oh. And I've got a bit really? of a UK entry. Mm. Um, it's called Hope Rose High, mm. and it's been written by a computer. A U- university put in a kind of algorithm <laughs> can, to try and get imagine. a feel for Cliff Richards' congratulations. <laughs> I think they programmed a computer with that. And what they came out with was an eerie ballad. Do you want to have the chorus of this eerie ballad? Doesn't sound very Eurovision, does it? It doesn't. That's sound... a nil points from the Chiswick <laughs> judge. Quite extraordinary. I don't know if you've got. A, I'm going. To, hang on. I just have to switch it off before I trigger it. Hold on a second. Right. That's off. If you've got an Alexa at home and you ask it to sing a song, it sounds like that. So basically, <laughs> it's, it's utterly yeah. And and she, and she and she will and she does. And you know, if you had a glass of wine, you'd want to amuse yourself. On a, I'll have to do that later. I have to I get us to sing us a song. Yeah, I've got one here in the in the. In the do you want to? Hey go Google, sing us a song. No, it's not, <laughs> not working. Google, Andy, uh, Mr. Technology. I don't think Google go uh, are as advanced as, as Alexa. Um, <laughs> oh, I'd say okay. He although, speaks. Although they they, the, only, the only person in the world that Alexa or Google ignore. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. So, on to tomorrow, Mike. Um, Britain's Got Talent is back for a new Prince. series. That's not in lockdown, is it? I'll take well, it. it's not, but, it, it, but at the same time it is, because obviously these, right. the, the initial um, Saturday night shows are always pre-recorded. Mm. So, yes, we've got the pre-recorded stuff going out as it was scheduled to go out anyway. And then, you know, just as happened very tragically with The Voice UK, the whole thing grinds to a halt just before it becomes live, because, of course, they can't do the live ones. So, yeah, at the moment... So at the moment, yeah, they're, they're, they're starting off. So we've got, um, what have we got in the first one? We've got a contortionist, um, a comedian, a Russian woman who dances with her five Dachshunds, uh, a Glaswegian hip-hop dance troupe uh, whose oldest member is 10, who are actually, I have to say, amazingly good. You know, wow. obviously, you know, this lockdown has done something to my head, but you're watching it thinking, oh, very good, aren't <laughs> this they? Is the be- this is the best part of the series anyway, the terrible ones and the good ones. Yes. Discovering them. I mean, the finals are fine, but I always prefer this bit anyway, so yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, happy yeah. with that. Well, you're happy they can just stop it then. Yeah, 8pm, <laughs> 8pm on Saturday. On yeah. to Sunday, who wants to be a millionaire celebrity special? Bit of a, oh, yes. uh, who, wants to be a who wants to be a millionaire flavour to the weekend, but we'll come on to quiz in a minute. But yeah. first, uh, who's, who are the celebs? Richard Osman, yeah. John John Barnes, All right. and Charlotte Church. Where's she been? Okay. Charlotte Church. No, she, she, does, she sings in a fine band these days. Oh, does she? One of these bands that you can throw any song at them, they rework Songs, they're supposed to be brilliant. I think she's still doing that. We, but said, yeah, she's, we can throw anything yeah. you like at them. Yes, I've been well, one you, of those I mean, bands. song-wise, song-wise, <laughs> and then they'll do kind of interesting and quirky versions of, of, oh. of songs. Yeah, they're that, supposed oh. to be very good. Oh, I'm going to mm. look that up. That's yeah, an interesting yeah, yeah. career swerve, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good for her. So, anyway, so okay, yes, well, well talking of uh, having things thrown at them, I was mm. watching Red Dwarf <laughs> last night, and... Okay. Uh, Norman Lovett, of course, uh, came back as Holly. Yes. I, I really enjoy it. I could have done without the canned laughter, but that's another matter. Mm-hmm. But uh, very, very enjoyable. And I had to follow Norman in an open mic slot at the original comedy store. Uh-huh. And wow. I did get things thrown at me. It was pretty <laughs> oh, unpleasant. Oh, and and he, was, he was brilliant, of course. That wonderful, laconic, drollery, you know, get, got big yeah. laughs. Yeah. And we mm. bombed from the first second we came on the stage. Oh. It's like, oh, well, maybe just they, smell, they could smell the fear. Uh, on <laughs> Monday, true. then... Killing Eve is back, it and you is. do make the you do make the Ooh. point in your piece. So it turns out she's still 
hasn't actually managed it. No. <laughs> series three. <laughs> That's a good it? point. No, she hasn't. Uh, Eve has not been killed by Villanelle. It's series three. Uh, it's Initially, it's only going to be on the iPlayer. That's from Monday. Uh, then on Sunday... Um, it then goes on to BBC One, so it'll just okay. go out weekly in the normal well, way. I wonder, so, wonder why they do that. I wonder what the to, point to, of that is. I think it's to, to, to remind everybody that the iPlayer exists. All right, okay. Essentially, and to sort of encourage people Jody to use Comer it. Jodie is wonderful in that series. She is very fabulous. Good, yeah. She's absolutely yeah. brilliant. I mean, a lot of people, you know, were quite disparaging about the second series. And I guess, I think part of the problem was the first series was so different and so refreshingly different that nothing they did would ever, was ever going to have quite the same impact when you watched, you know, what you watched it. Be- I liked it. I, I, I thought it was fine. And, and third series sort of gets underway. It's still, you know, she's still, in, um, as I say, every, everyone's favourite psychopath. She's still, you know, engaging. <laughs> you can have such a thing. <laughs> engagingly <laughs> twisted. Well, I, you know, I've supported a few teams over the years that have competition for that title. Um, yeah, it's... it's, it's there's something very clever about the fact that this such a dark character is is somebody you find entertaining and engaging and you root for, but yeah. not not in too sick a way. So it's very cleverly written. You've got and you've also got uh, new cast members, including Steve Pemberton uh, and Harriet Walter, joining for this series. So it's um, excellent. Yeah, very so, good. Uh, Mike, we're nearly out of time, so we haven't really got time to talk about quiz, but it is about the infamous Arsenal, of course, the uh, people that did or didn't they cheat on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. We are pleased to say Chris Tarrant joins us on Tuesday after the show has gone out at 9pm on ITV on Bank Holiday Monday. Mm. So we'll have a bit of review of it, and we'll hear from Chris as well. But it's Michael Sheen playing Chris. Which, Michael uh, Sheen brilliantly portraying Chris. I'm sure Chris brilliant. will agree with that. It's amazing. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. So there we are. That was uh, this afternoon's show. Um, as it's a bank holiday weekend, we're going to take an extra day off. We're going to take uh, the bank holiday Monday off. Uh, Max and Charlie, Max Rushton, Charlie Baker will be your host. It was doing a fine job, of course, on the Saturday warm-up. But they'll be here Monday at one o'clock sitting in for us. And we'll be back from Tuesday at one, the podcast course, uh, back as well. So thanks very much for listening. And uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Stay safe. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 